Welcome to Capital Close-Up. I'm your host, Paul Holtz, here on WKXL AM and FM, streamed live at nhtalkradio.com, and podcast wherever you find your podcasts. Become a subscriber, like us. You can, you can listen to all our previous shows and visit our website at beyondpoliticspodcast.com. I'm very happy to welcome back to the show veteran journalist, Kevin Landrigan. Kevin is a good friend. He covered me when I was in politics. He covers everything political. He writes for the union leader. Kevin, welcome back to Capital Close-Up. Thanks, Paul. Great to be with you. So let's start with a story you wrote recently um, about the Wyndham audit. Apparently, there were some, there were some questions in Wyndham, New Hampshire, about vote totals, and there was a forensic audit done. What's the status? What did people find? Where are we? And what are the explanations for what seemed a somewhat mysterious vote count discrepancy? Yeah, it really was, Paul. Um, uh, just to backtrack a little bit, the, uh, the legislature passed a bill, Senate Bill 43, calling for this forensic audit to take place. Never been done before in New Hampshire. Um, so that's unusual, but something unusual did happen in Wyndham. When uh, in Wyndham, there was a pretty competitive race in the legislature. Uh, Wyndham elects four seats to the House of Representatives in Concord. Um, after, at, on election night, the Democrat lost Christy St. Laurent um, finished in fifth place, lost family 24 votes. And then, um, so she asked for and got a recount. Uh, about uh, nine days later, and the recount reported a very different outcome. Uh, all the Republicans, all four Republicans who were on the ballot running for the House gained about 300 votes in the recount. And um, Christy St. Laurent lost about 100 votes. So she went from losing by 24 to losing by over 400. So <laughs> that'll, that'll teach her. Yeah, well, that's right. Yeah. And the, um, it's not, not unusual for recounts, as you know, um, uh, to produce different numbers. That's, it's, it's almost, they almost always do. Um, and and just and for our, yeah. for our listeners, sure. yep. when a when a recount is done, um, and a candidate asks for a recount, um, this is different than the forensic audit we're going to talk about. A recount happens with people get uh, it's they're recounted by hand with people right. looking at every ballot yes. with observers. Uh, observing what is happening at the recount to keep everybody on the straight and narrow. That's right. Yes. Um, so this, um, this legislation created a three member audit team. Uh, one represented one that the town of Wyndham picked one that the secretary of state and the attorney general picked. And the third person was picked by the first two. But why, um, why was there any need? Why was there any need for an audit? I mean, if the recount, went the went the way of the Republicans. Um, Christy St. Laurent is a, was the top finishing Democrat. She got right. 100 fewer votes in the recount. The Republicans yeah. got 300 votes more. 
um, in in terms of the uh, New Hampshire House. Why was there any call for something more than than the recount? Well, I think because um, I do think um, what happened in 2020 and President Trump certainly plays a part here. As you know, Wyndham is a very um, Republican community. Uh, it's really hard for Democrats to win. Tell me uh, about it. Uh, Tell me and, about it. I mean, when yeah. I was running for Congress, my only hope was maybe if I could hold Wyndham to a small margin for my Republican right. opponents, you know, right. I'd be doing well. It, the only <laughs> hope I had was like, OK, maybe I can cut into their margin a little bit in Wyndham and those other towns along the southern border, maybe. And if I do, maybe that you know, was a, actually part of our key strategy for victory was to see if I can just take some votes from the Republicans. The, um, uh, so uh, President Trump's complaints about the 2020 election certainly played a part here. I think in, in raising suspicions about the voting machines um, uh, in Wyndham. Now, mm -hmm. New Hampshire has been using these um, pretty antiquated, but pretty reliable um, optical scanning voting machines um, since the mid 1980s, about 85% of cities and towns use these so-called AccuVote machines. Now the, the, the owner of the machine is a subsidiary of a company known as Dominion Voting Systems. Now mm. Dominion is the company that President Trump has uh, alleged um, helped steal the election from him last November in, mm -hmm. in states where these machines were used. So, uh -huh. so once this once this real wide discrepancy came out in Wyndham, even though it um, it helped the Republicans, some people wondered whether um, something was afoot. I mean, conspiracies sort of abounded after the hand recount. You had people who said. Um, the machines were rigged. Uh, and then you had people who said uh, that the hand recount was done improperly. And, uh, and, and the Democrat actually was much closer. Uh, so um, that's one of the reasons why in a bipartisan way, legislators said, okay, let's, let's do this. We've never done it before. Um, uh, let's, um, let's conduct this forensic audit, do it. Um, uh, and have uh, a three-person team of experts conduct it, have all of the ballots inspected and all the work essentially done by volunteers in New Hampshire. The, the, the audit itself, all of it, has really been done by um, city and town clerks, ward moderators, ward selectmen, um, people who've been willing to give it their time in the last couple of weeks to... Uh, to get this thing done, which is so putting New Hampshire, you know, putting aside um, the personnel involved, mm. it, it sounds to me a little bit, uh, it kind of smacks of the Maricopa County syndrome in Arizona, yeah. where, yeah. you know, you got an audit going on after endless recounts and the certification of the vote. And, and, and you've got a crew who went into Maricopa County in Arizona that was clearly a biased partisan crew. And I'm just, I'm wondering about this trend, whether we now have a trend in New Hampshire where anytime somebody 
doesn't like the recount, depending upon which party is in power, we're going to start seeing forensic audits of of our of our elections because yeah. you know I mean let's 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 just point out that this never happened when Democrats were in control of the legislature and here we have Republican control and the Trump claims about Dominion and the craziness about the allegations of stealing stealing the election and now here we are in New Hampshire for the first ever forensic re audit. Yeah, it's certainly uh, Secretary of State, who's moderate Democrat, former legislator. He wasn't a fan of this. He really did not. Because it's one, because it's never been done before. And two, because to your point, he did. He was not. He didn't want to conduct the, the precedent. And yeah. he basically he made the argument, you know, that this looks like a big discrepancy, but we've had um bigger ones in the past than this one actually was. So, uh, but um, uh, if you've been following social media since the election, there's a, um, there's a really very vocal group um, in Wyndham and surrounding towns that are really worked up about this. And, mm -hmm. and I think convince the legislature to at least look into it. They, they are still as at this hour, looking into it, this, but they found some, they've got an interesting hypothesis that may actually explain what happened, what the discrepancy was about. And it really has to, has to do with the folding of ballots. Now, ballots get folded in two ways. Um, first off, if you cast an absentee ballot, as you probably know, and if you did this election like a third of the voters did during COVID, voted by absentee, you have to fold the ballot in order to put it in the envelope. Even though you get a big envelope, it's still got to be folded. So, right. um, so that's one way a ballot's folded. The other is through the these machines actually fold the ballots as they're counting them all um, and flipping them from one place where they're being, where the ballot goes into the machine in, into a box that actually holds all the ballots once they've all been counted. And um, uh, so this provide this causes a crease to occur in the ballot, usually in the middle of the ballot. Hmm. And, and um, see, now let me just interrupt for a second. Because my, when, 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 when we vote, uh, at least in, in uh, the polling place that I have been um, mm -hmm. polling places in Concord, um, we take our ballot from the booth and we put it flat into a machine right that without folding it that right. that sucks the ballot you know in like a copier machine kind of it does it does but then the ballot actually gets flipped over like a copying machine that ballot doesn't just drop you know once you once you once you mm -hmm. put it in the machine the ballot actually gets flipped and and that flipping can end up full providing a crease to the ballot now uh -huh. the old, and there's some belief that at least among the audit team that the older the machines the more likely the creases occur such i mean similar to what you try and do when you you have an old copy machine and you try and copy 
50 pieces of paper at the same time, you know, right. one after the other. I mean, in other words, it's not unusual for a piece, one of those pieces to jam and right. to clog up and to crinkle. And that's really what we're talking about here. And, mm -hmm. and what's so, again, remember, these machines count the ballot by optically scanning an impression right the ballot with the right. impression usually of course being your pencil making that mark you right. know on with the person you want to vote for well um they through this audit they've discovered that um they looked at they basically separated all all the ballots where there was some kind of folding that went on and they mm -hmm. determined that there was the error rate how those ballots were read by the machine was as high as 60%, depending on the machine. But anywhere from, there's four machines they used in Windows. So their rate ranged from 25% to 60%. So how does that explain what happened? Well, um, if in many cases, just because of where they, they, she appeared on the ballot, on you know vertically on the ballot, mm -hmm, right. many of the folds were right in Christie Saint Laurent's name, right uh -huh. through her her mm -hmm. line. Okay, yeah. so if you voted, and here's where the mis here's where the mistake occurs, in two ways. One, if you voted for four Republicans, right, yeah. and you and you had a crease across her name, then the machine would not that'd be an overvote. In other words, uh, that the machine reported it as you're voting for five people for four right. seats, so yep. nobody gets a vote. I okay. see. So, and, so it would tab because of the cre The yep. theory is yep. because of the crease through St. Lawrence's name, yep. she was counted as a yes, a positive vote for her, which is five votes for four seats, which yep. is no vote, which means an overcount, and the and the and the machine says no result. Right. And so then the second question then becomes, okay, during the recount, how did she lose 100 votes? Remember, right. Republicans gain, she loses. Here's how she loses 100 votes. If, um, if, and this happens, you know, you vote for three people, four people for an office. I mean, it's really, it's not unusual, certainly, a voter gets in there and says, you know, I only know two of these people, <laughs> you know, I, so they don't vote for all four. They only vote for two or they right. only vote for three. Yep. And, and then you got her fold, right? So, so there's a case where if you voted for two, the two Republicans got a vote and she ended up with a vote from right. the fold. And right. then when you recounted, that's where she lost votes. So there's still, they, th they don't think this is the only anomaly um, that could explain what's going on, but it's certainly um, an interesting theory and probably um, a major contributor to what happened. So, um, so one of the interesting things that, that you reported in your article in the unionleader.com, uh, that was last week uh, as this was heading, heading was moving forward to be completed, I gather, by May 27th yeah. uh, with results. 
one of the interesting things was that that the votes, the total votes for governor varied by fewer than 20 in the audited returns and differed by fewer than 40 votes for Senator Jean Shaheen, who was also up for re-election. So there were there was a, a very small discrepancy uh, in the governor and the uh, top federal office. Um, I, I'm not sure uh, what happened in the in the congressional the U.S. congressional races, but it looks like they escaped the kinds of anomalies we saw right. in the others. And, and that sounds like from the theory, if the theory is correct, that right. it's because of where those uh, parties are placed higher up on the ballot um, where they would not be folded or creased. Right. That's exactly right. Yeah. And that's one of the, and this was one of the requests that Secretary Bill Gardner had. If you're going to do this, forensic audit, then you really need to look at a couple of other races on the ballot to see, to see whether there was a lot of discrepancy in those races. And if not, then you may be on to something, you know, that's, right. um, and it, so, um, so he had proposed the two statewide races um, uh, for governor and Senate and, um, and yeah, yeah, so very little, very little found then. So the, the audit's gotta be, they've gotta finish up and will, um, towards the end of this week. And then within 45 days, the team then authors a report on, um, on what they found. Then the attorney general uh, and the secretary of state have to submit a report within 45 days of that to the legislature. Oh, what should be done in the wake of this? Should there be more inspections of these older machines? Should we consider going to a different technology. I mean, that's one of the interesting things about what's come out of this audit. These machines, as I say, are, are very old, but the, every, all three members of the audit team are of the opinion that they're, they're, they're a lot less hackable than, if that was a word, um, than the modern technology. And the, one of the reasons is because they're not accessible by the internet. You know, um, it's mm -hmm. it's extremely the modern PC actually can't even read the memory cards from these machines. That's how old they are. They're pre MS DOS. You know, so right. Um, right. It's one of the reasons why you know, uh, as one old timer to another in Bill Gardner's case, it's one of the reasons why he has always been reluctant to go for a lot of this new technology where you know the touchscreen stuff where you vote by pushing um by pressing uh the screen for who you want to vote for you know um uh because he he's very worried about um cyber security and and votes being tampered with and right um, because as you reported the the vote counting machines used in Wyndham are used in about 85% of cities and towns in New Hampshire. They're among the oldest models in circulation. Their memory, uh, memory devices, a memory chip, dates back to 1981. Right. And one and, that's the and, good news. And that's the good news. Right, exactly. I know. And um, the other nice thing about these machines, certainly what Gardner's always liked about them is unlike the new technology, 
There was a paper ballot accounting for every vote that gets cast. A lot of these, a lot of these newer devices, even if, you, um, in other words, with a lot of new machines and new voting systems, you go into a polling place and you're actually marking, making marks on a computer. And then you're sending it to a, 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 a server that the election officials maintain on site, you know? You're, so you're submitting your own ballot kind of electronically through this computer. So, and this has always been Gardner's problem about the new technology. So you don't have any paper to actually confirm what the voter's intent was or wasn't, you know? Um, right. So, uh, and that's what makes recounts of those kind of systems um, much more difficult to ascertain what the heck went on. You've got to go back to look at screens instead of looking at paper. And, um, and so, um, uh, uh, but, um, but the Secretary of State and the Attorney General were required to re um, produce a report. Then the ballot law commission will actually do its own kind of post, um, you know, Monday morning quarterbacking on the machines themselves and, and, and make a, a report about the accuracy of the machines and how they perform. You know, what, what, here, here's what's ironic. So, you know, what started out, um, and, and, and I, I take off any partisan hat about all this, but let me just say what started out is kind of, uh, you'd say, okay, it's a Trumpian conspiracy theory and the social media on the right is going nuts about conspiracy, this and conspiracy that, and we do a first ever forensic audit and we, every, you know, there are objections from all kinds of quarters and both sides about the need for a forensic audit. And it looks like it may end up pointing out a genuine issue with uh, the current technology for counting votes in New Hampshire. There's right. good, good news, bad news. The good news right. is the machines are old and they're not susceptible to being hacked online. The bad news is that the machines are old and they may handle the ballots in such a way as to increase variability and, um, and errors, um, innocent errors in the results. Kevin, I want to turn your attention for a moment to the question of redistricting and the political plans of two high-profile New Hampshire politicians. Uh, we'll talk a little bit about Chris Pappas and Governor Chris Sununu. So uh, Stephen Stepanak, the Republican Party chair in New Hampshire, who was vying for control and domination of his Republican colleagues and leading the party, um, made a speech at their caucus. And in his speech, he said that he guaranteed, he guaranteed that we would have a conservative Republican United States congressman come 2022. What was he talking about? And how is he so sure that he can guarantee that we're going to have a conservative Republican congressman? And who was he talking about? Yeah, it's um, interesting. Certainly, I mean, after um, um, 
After Chris Anunu won re-election in November and got ne nearly 70% of the vote running for governor, I, I certainly think that um, um, as state Republicans thought they would have uh, been able to break through and win the first congressional district, which historically has been pretty competitive with between the two parties. Um, but Chris Pappas, uh, the Manchester Democrat, ran strong, won by about five points against a, a good Republican candidate, Matt Mowers, um, former state party executive director, active serving in the Trump Secretary of State's office under Mike Pompeo. Um, so um, now that Republicans have gained back control of the legislature, uh, they now have the the levers of power, if you will, when it comes to redistricting um, in New Hampshire. That would affect the um, uh, election districts in the state house, both the House of Representatives and the state Senate. The executive council, their five districts will have to be um, reapportioned. They also look at the counties and, um, and the county commissioners and how they are uh, divvied up in each county. Each county has three commissioners and is supposed to geographically represent the same sort of num numbers of people. And the two congressional districts. Um, and that's where Stepanek's attention will be um, once redistricting gets underway, which um, by the way, is not gonna be anytime soon. Um, Thanks to COVID-19, the 2020 census really got delayed, slowed down. It became difficult for census takers to get verified information from people who in the main, uh, a lot of people weren't answering the door, you know, during COVID-19 and, and a lot of um, and the census was actually having great difficulty finding volunteers willing to even do the job in, during the worst of the pandemic. So it really fell behind schedule. And normally by mid-April, all um, state houses across the country received this information, this updated census tract information by mid-April in order to start doing redistricting. The, the best um, estimate now is it's going to be more like mid-September that all these um, uh, computer files, which is really what they are, containing all this information will be provided to states. So um, usually every 10 years, this redistricting job gets done during the summer before the next election, which kind of makes sense. The legislature's out of session, the budget's done, lawmakers have some time, and this redistricting committee spends the summer to do it. Well. They're really not going to be able to start it until um, um, mid-fall, you know, and um, um, which that presents its own set of obstacles, right? But um, in order to try and get the job done so the legislature can vote on it in a timely way in 2022. Um, so, so just in, in terms of the timing of this, because the census has been held up a little bit because right. we're coming into summer, 
the the Republican dominated and controlled legislature starts talking about redistricting in the fall of 2021, which is a year before approximately a year before the elections. Is that is that enough time when uh, I mean, there's been an awful lot of back and forth about redistricting uh, in New Hampshire. Um, The Democrats have tried um, time and again and failed to get an independent redistricting commission because listeners of the of the show know that as we've talked about politics over over time, uh, redistricting has really been one of the one of the real problems about our electoral system where the party in power gets to pick what towns and make up a district and get to gerrymander right. uh, districts to suit their particular political agenda. And as Stepanak, Stephen Stepanak, head of the Republican Party in New Hampshire, said, elections have consequences, he snidely said, which is a way of saying we're going to do whatever we want to do. And and we're going to try to gerrymander this these districts to make sure that we can elect a candidate by, you know, as, as we said in the last segment, Wyndham, for example, is a conservative town. I mean, conceivably, the Republicans could move Manchester out of the first congressional district into the second. I mean, they could do all kinds of things in terms of moving towns around claiming they were simply following the 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 dictates of the census to make things more fair more 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 even more uh, but everybody knows what's what's going on so we've got a situation now in New Hampshire where a year before one year before the election um you start the Republican legislature and redistricting folks will start looking at what they're going to do and and they they could face they could face litigation from democrats and national democrats who are who suffered tremendous losses in 2020 in terms of not regaining control of legislatures they lost uh, while we won the presidency as democrats we lost uh, legislatures all over the country including in new hampshire uh, and those consequences are that there could be redistricting efforts to make uh, districts more conservative, like the first district in New Hampshire. And then national Democrats are already gearing up for constitutional lawsuits. Right. Yeah, no, that's true. Um, but you hit on upon an important point. The Republicans need to keep in mind, to be sure, which is um, well, when you're redistricting um, the goal from a partisan point of view, whether it's Democrats or Republicans, when you're trying to, you know, improve your position through redistricting, you always want to try and do it in a way that um, uh, is effective, but is the most subtle and not most overt. Because as we found out in 2010, um, uh, when Bill O'Brien was the Speaker of the House, hired a consultant, uh, really experienced in software for the Republican National Committee, um, created a map that was exceptionally advantageous to Republicans. And that was appealed to the Supreme Court. And the Supreme Court ended up essentially um, uh, 
writing its own map. They hired a demographer um, and that demographer produced a different map that appeared, they argued was less partisan. Um, as it happened, um, they ordered the legislature to deal with that map in that next election. Um, and frankly, they did it in such a way that it was a pretty chaotic election cycle there. I mean, the Supreme Court issued its ruling, uh, I think almost less than 10 days before the filing period started. So you had all kinds of folks scrambling around thinking they're running for one seat and sure enough, they were running for another, you know, so, um, or in another district or with towns that they didn't think were going to be in their district were added to their district. So it's crazy. It, it was insane. And, and, and so the legislature had no time to really respond to it. Um, and it, it turned out in, um, after that election, um, um, both parties decided, you know, there are some districts here that um, the court has created that aren't ideal. So both parties kind of get together and changed about eight or 10 districts in the house that, and tried to make them more communities of interest, um, towns that sort of go together or wards that made sense to combine. So they, they made some changes to it. That's what the Republican legislature and, and Chris Sununu as the governor has got to sign any redistricting plan, have to think about it. And moving Manchester from the second di first district to the second district would be extremely overt. And <laughs> we'll, call, we'll call that you know, one a non-starter. Right. I, I really think so, you know, and uh, uh, and there are more, like I said, more subtle ways to try and uh, either defeat Chris Pappas or convince Chris Pappas that it's time to maybe find other employment you know, perhaps run for a different office like um, uh, like governor. As we're seeing in the country, we're, we're going to see this um, with Republicans controlling, you know, more than 30 legislatures across the country. Um, I think we're going to see a number of Democrats in Congress um, maybe make some moves because of getting moved out of sure. electability. Yeah, you know, you know we're, we are, we're already seeing it. Uh, for example, down in Florida, Val Demings, mm -hmm. uh, who came to prominence in the impeachment yes. of Donald Trump, is now talking about taking on Marco Rubio for the Senate, uh, presumably um, because, you know, not only does she think she gained some cred and name recognition, yeah. but also because she sees her congressional district as challenged. Yep. Tim Tim Ryan, who ran for president unsuccessfully, is yep. thinking about uh, maybe he'll run for the Senate. I think that a lot of Democrats are taking a look at at what could happen to their districts. I'm I'm sitting here trying to imagine uh, how what what the Republicans could do to make the first district um, more. Republican. I mean, I suppose they could they could take more southern New yeah. Hampshire towns away from the second district and kind of create this ribbon of red along the bottom of the state and put it into the first district. But then in terms of population, they'd have to take some right. of the already pretty conservative towns from the first district and attach them 
in some tortured way to the second congressional district. And, you know, the, and they, what they end up with is a forever blue second district and a hopefully more red uh, first district, but it would, it would end up making a, a pretty, you know, right now you've got a, a, an interesting geographical distribution of, of lines and, and population where the first district is uh, much smaller geographically, but because the population is so heavily concentrated in that uh, Rockingham Hillsborough County um, swath in the lower right corner of the state, you've got a much smaller geographic district, but, but it balances out in terms of population while the second district, which is, as I have always been fond of saying, is the left side of the state. Um, it's much bigger geographically because you've got you've got the whole North Country for the for the for the for the second district. I'm I I think the only thing the Republicans could do would be to take take some more of the conservative southern tier towns and kind of uh, stretch them into the into the first district, but. Yeah. That would be awfully suspect. I mean, you, you'd say, well, why? What's the constitutionally um, supportable reason for simply adding more conservative towns? How, 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 would, how would that work? Because it's hard for me to think about how that would balance out in terms of population, because they're, yeah, right. they're much more heavily populated. They are. Yeah, um, certainly. Um uh, yeah, towns like um, along that southern tier, you know, you have Salem, Wyndham, Atkinson are all in the second district. Um, right. Um, that's one option. Um, certainly another one would be to to the north in um, southern Carroll County. Um, uh, you can move some communities there um, from the second to the first. Um, one, mm -hmm. one thing we don't really know right now uh, that's gonna, one fact that's going to be kind of important to that discussion about a lawsuit, if one was to occur, is how out of balance are these two congressional districts right now? Right. You know, if you look at the BAP, if you look at, if you base it on, um, you know, kind of votes cast, there's, there's about one or 2% more votes cast in the second than in the first. Um, which um, doesn't translate directly to population, but sometimes can give you an indication that um, they, they might be a little bigger. And um, uh, but I think that that's an important variable as well. If they're right. not really way, if they're if they're out of whack by ten thousand people, then the Republicans have certainly more justification to start annexing communities into the but, first you know, well, but, you if know but if they're not then and that's why we've seen historically in those two districts as you know having represented the second we have not seen a, a big sea change in right. the two districts for the last 30 years they right. really haven't changed in a big way and the reason is because the population really hasn't shifted dramatically you know yeah. From um, there have been population changes, but they've been, you know, kind of within the district. So yeah. um, that's what that's the other piece of this pie is um, if there's not a big change uh, demographically, then 
what's your justification for making a big change that looks political, you know? Well, yeah, you know, look, it might and it might all end up as as good news for Chris Pappas. Um, He would be a a really strong candidate, a Democratic candidate for governor. Having he's a businessman. He served as an executive counselor. He's now been elected to uh, the U.S. Congress. Um, He probably he does not have the personal fortune of somebody like a, a Chris Sununu. He does not have a dynastic family name, which New Hampshire seems to like. And and it may be, uh, and you probably are reading the tea leaves uh, closer than I am, that Governor Sununu is, I mean, Pappas has made really no secret in if you parse the political jargon of what he said about his opportunities and his options he's made right. essentially no secret that he's looking looking at running for governor yeah. so, sununu has has kind of not been overly coy he's tried to be coy but hasn't really succeeded at 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 his machinations about running for the senate clearly he's been down to washington he's been talking to mitch mcconnell he's looking at tea leaves um he's taking sununu's taking a look at maggie hassan who appears to be for whatever reason uh, a less popular than Jean Shaheen who has had real staying power um Maggie does not seem to enjoy that same kind of bipartisan uh, popularity the progressives have recently savaged Hassan over remarks um and her approach to is the Israeli-Palestinian conflict, um, right. and so yeah. she may she may be weaker on the left than than she needs to be in terms of an enthusiasm gap. So you could have some real rearranging going on if Pappas runs for governor, and let's just hypothesize that Kelly Ayotte runs for governor, and right. Sununu runs for the United States Senate against Maggie Hassan, we could see some, we, and there's a successful redistricting over in the in the first uh, congressional district, mm-hmm. you could end up with a Kelly Ayotte-led Republican New Hampshire legislature, and all of a sudden, an evenly split a federal delegation with a with two with a Republican senator, Republican con- member of Congress in the first district, and uh, Democrats in the second district, and Gene uh, Shaheen, and that would be a that would represent a significant and substantial change in the balance of power in New Hampshire, and not one that I think Democrats would look at as very favorable. Yeah, no, it's true. That's certainly um, certainly a possibility and one that Democrats need to be concerned about. And the best, um, you know, the best Democrats can do is is uh, go after Governor Sununu for awarding himself what they called a half million dollar no bid contract for an ad campaign urging people to get vaccinated, which if you're the governor of the state, you want to urge people to be vaccinated. And if that's the best Democrats can do to go after Chris Sununu, it's not very favorable territory for Democrats in 2022. Well, Kevin, we're going to have to stop and uh, we'll have you back. This is Capital Close-Up. I'm your host, Paul Hodes. We've been talking to unionleader.com veteran journalist Kevin Landrigan. Pick us up on your podcasts and we'll be back next week.